3: Mentally yours from Ellen and Event oh, Focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret it's mentally, 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 mentally yours, mentally yours, mentally
1: yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone, I'm Yvette and I'm Ellen. And welcome to Mentally Yours, our weekly podcast for Metro.co.uk about all things mental health. So this week we'll be talking to a really cool guy called Faris Khalifa, who will be talking to us about anxiety, depression and PTSD. I got to know Faris because he wrote me a fantastic blog for Metro.co.uk about depression. He's an ambassador for Time to Change. That's how I got to know him in the first place. And we just thought it would be great to get him in and have him chat about those things in the same way that he's written about them for us.
2: Well, I came from Sudan as an unaccompanied asylum seeker when I was 14. And, obviously, the culture shock and everything that comes with it and everything that happened back in Sudan left me with a host of mental health issues. Um, the thing is, they develop worse and worse as you grow older because your brain develops more capacity at least to absorb that much shock. And then, suddenly, you think you're going to grow out of it, but you only grow more into it, if anything. And... Uh, because I lived in care, I kind of had a bit of a chip on my shoulder where, you know, you, you want to constantly... People go, where did you live, in care? Oh, I'll come to my house, and etc. So when you leave, you kind of want to be constantly independent. And that affected my mental health dramatically because I never spoke or specifically asked for help whatsoever. And when I eventually did, that completely changed my perspective on mental health completely, on how similar we are and how... Uh, helpful it can be to speak out in both ending the stigma, preventing mental health and helping people's issues really.
1: So what conditions are we talking about here?
2: <laughs> I suffer from PTSD and uh, depression and anxiety. And the way that manifests is that um, you'll notice I'm pretty bad with eye contact. I can do it if I need to, but I think just instinctively I avoid eye contact just to not reveal anything. And I also avoid big crowds. I, I have a natural, like, um, sensitivity to sound. I don't sleep at all. But, uh eventually try to live with your mental health as opposed to fight against it because you can't deny it because a lot of people tend to go oh no i'm fine my head is because it's for me the first time hearing about it was it it's a matter of because you can get over a cold, a cold a broken arm or whatever but mental health is your mind so it's um it was a, lot a tougher pill to swallow for me at least did you get kind of professional help as
3: well or was it all you kind of doing it oh, on absolutely. your own How long did it take you between, like, first starting to get symptoms and then actually going, okay, I need help?
2: Because I lived in care at the time. uh, Most of the big decisions were made by the staff in in the home. So uh, whenever a a kid comes to home, you go through all these different checkups, doctors, whatever, and they assessed that I needed severe psychiatric help because I was uh, not sleeping at all, wasn't mixing, wasn't talking, wasn't eating or anything. And... uh, that was my first ever interaction with any anyone from a psychiatric unit whatsoever. Because everywhere I've lived, especially in the Arabic world, it's really like uh, taboo to speak about. Yeah. Uh, to the point where it's almost a shame if if someone has something severe and the family can't, you just hide it or don't talk about it. Yeah. And then to, to meet really nice uh, people who did come out. They weren't just, like, come to the house and talk to me. they take me out for a walk, we go to town and whatever. And uh, slowly, slowly, they built my confidence and my my self-respect. And to this day, I'm in touch with them, like, 15 years on. I'm, I still speak to my psychiatrist and, 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 and different therapists. I even was on a radio show for the BBC the other day, and... Uh, one of the guests was from the NHS, and it turns out it was my old consultant, like yeah. fourteen years ago. Such a small world, so it felt really familiar. Yet, I was thinking to myself, if we broke down the the stigma and the barriers and everything, everyone will slowly start to feel familiar based only on emotions because we we all relate to yeah. like one thing or another. Like it's it's um, it's odd. I made a video about a couple of years ago. Uh, on YouTube, and it made the rounds from like. American websites, newspapers to hear and whatever. And what I noticed is the replies I got from everybody. I had people who were like from, from the 70s, 80s, people who were like 15, 14 emailed me. And it, it, the range, it just varied. I had a guy get in touch with me, say to me, I haven't cried in 40 years, but I cried today. And it felt like a good thing. And obviously this gentleman came from a generation where uh, stiff up a lip and get yeah. on with it. And yet, even he recognised that we live in an age of, of enlightenment in a way where we accept the things that we tend to want to shy away to make us feel because we all want to feel accepted in the other day, really.
1: How has mental health affected your dating
2: life? I did warn you about this one. <laughs> oh, um, quite well actually. And, 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 and <laughs> That's cool. I, no, 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 no. <laughs> just, 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 wait, wait, wait. It, it, it's it's obviously a curve it started really badly because you need to understand how you're addressing it so a question i developed not in a dating sense but in a in a a, just in a social sense is when i ask people oh how are you and oh how are you feeling i i usually say no no when they say i'm fine which is a classic answer i say, no no really how are you feeling people are usually disarmed by going whoa someone kind of cares and the more you, they talk to you and realise that you're there to listen not to reply you, you know it's almost endearing in a way and because uh, re- I tend to look at everything I don't know, I'm a, I'm a guy I, I'm not a try- stereotype, everything has to be almost like a science for me mm-hmm. and I like to uh, my, myself, I try to study myself and my, my actions and how people react to me and uh, whenever I go on a date, I tell myself one thing: just be as honest as possible, and don't look at it as a date, but look at it as another person you're going to go have an experience with. Whatever it may be, be like a a, a poetry reading, a movie, a walk in the park, and always, because uh, one thing or another, people will like try you. They'll they'll, they'll give you a bit of information saying. Not always, but some say, oh, I've, I suffer from such and such or have bipolar, and then they wait for your reaction. And then if you say, oh, usually I, you know, I don't, if it's something we both share, I'm like, oh, cool, me too. Uh, but if not, I'm like, I, I give them my list of things and I say, how does yours affect you? And then the more I talk about it, people are usually shocked because they go, I've been on a lot of dates. And I've never spoken this much about something so... Because people assume when you're going to have a deep talk on a date, yeah. it's going to be about philosophy or theology or whatever. No, it could be something as, as, as simple and as deconstructed as just your day, your life, how you feel about something so, uh, you know, the last week, the last year. And I tend to just let people talk.
1: So do you go right in there and, and sort of say, on the first date, I have anxiety, depression, PTSD? Um, Would you...?
2: It depends on the situation, of course, because um, I tend to mention it. I, I mean, before we even go on the date, but on the date itself, when I do mention it, I say, I usually tell people because it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Because if I didn't tell you, because I, I, I say, I say, by the way, I feel kind of anxious today because I've had like a long week. And I'm telling you because it makes it so much easier. And they'll be like, oh, you like nine out of 10 people yeah. will tell me, oh, by the way, I'm anxious too. Uh, in the end of the day, if you tell someone something and they kind of dislike you for it, they're not right for you anyways, because yeah. mm. that's a good barometer of checking what kind of person they are. If they kind of turn tail to say the second you say I'm depressed or I have I'm bipolar because they go, oh, I'm not dealing with this, then mm. you go, oh good, I'm glad that you said this now and saved me a messy breakup down the future. Yeah, and. um I've never regretted it, ever. Even when it's turned against me, I've still not regretted it, because it's it's a measure of who I am. I'm not ashamed yeah. of what I... Because I have to do with it every day.
3: Yeah, yeah. And you can't really hide it forever. Absolutely. It's going to come up eventually.
2: Absolutely, mm. and people should love you for who you are. Yeah. And everything about you, really.
3: What do
1: you wish people knew about PTSD, depression, anxiety?
2: That the image isn't everything. Because if you go on my Facebook or my Instagram, I'm like uh, with my cat and I'm doing cool stuff all the time and whatever. Yeah. But I make sure to tell people that what you see on my social media is not it's for me it's just like a picture book that I can look back and say but it's not a reflection of what my life is like yeah because how many times have we seen anyone post a picture of like themselves crying or after an argument or whatever it's always uh, you know perfect makeup the right angle the lights everything. Mm. and everything and it can serve to make other people feel bad because some yeah. of my friends will go through Facebook or whatever and suddenly they go, I'm not doing of this cool stuff. I'm just going to work, coming back home and eating a pasty or whatever. But no, but we all, we can all like doctor our lives to make it look perfect. But a little honesty. I mean, all these likes are really empty in the end of the day, because you're gonna go home alone and sit there at night.
3: Do you feel responsible to be like honest about mental health on social media?
2: You don't really feel like social media when you're sad, anyways. Yeah. So what I do try is that when I do post, I do think, wait, what if someone else is feeling sad? I know I feel good today, but what if? Some... So I try to include a message for them. So I tend to post um, things with with a quote from me or or, or, or a caption or something that acknowledges or at least paints that this is not the full picture. This is just a glimpse, a snapshot of anything. It's just one picture from like a a full day. And I find that people are a lot more uh, accepting because I'll post a a, a tweet from Stephen Fry, for example, or or a a quote from someone on, on Reddit or what have you. A lot of people get people saying, thank you for posting this. It made my day or maybe I needed this. And I get the same thing all the time too. And you never know how it might affect. You might change one person's day, but that's enough. Because I've, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. Because I used to do... I love like PR stunts and comedy stuff and being in the papers or whatever. And social media-wise... I just did everything for a page of Reddit the Post you name it but it meant nothing because I'd still go home at night feel cold and alone and miserable and after we go all of this almost empty accolade means absolutely nothing and it's easy to say because we all want validation from somewhere yeah and it's easy to get it online but if you can break I mean I tried my best and I'm slowly breaking away from it it makes such a difference because suddenly you go, oh wow! Outside of my phone, there's actual life, and I can eat a meal, go to on holiday, or do whatever. I'm not take a picture, or talk about, it or do anything. And same with emotions, I, I try to be as honest and as forthcoming with everything I, I feel when I can, at least these days, because I, when I think about it in hindsight, I could save myself a lot of heartache. If I was just honest. I was admitted to mental health unit when I was 19, I think. Only for a short while, about three weeks. And uh, it was odd. I could not believe how similar it was to one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It was a place where time stood still. Uh, the, uh, people usually never slept. Uh, I, I'd go into a room and I'd speak to everybody, and I'd say, oh, hi, how are you? And then they'd just look at me, and then they'd just turn around. Like, it didn't exist. Of course, first, they'd offer me a cigarette, and I'd be like, oh, sorry, I don't smoke. I don't smoke. After two weeks of doing this, I was like, you know what? Give me a cigarette. I really need one now. Mm-hmm. And once I took a cigarette, suddenly, it, like this one gesture of like connection made people talk to me more. It was such an odd thing, a flip in... in like, and like, there was almost like a ripple effect of of people accepting you. I mean, the people with conditions there had variety of conditions. Like yeah. it was numerous, and each unit was about twenty five people. It was mixed, but I've never been felt more closer to anybody or more in touch than it with than I was in that unit. And in it, was as short as as it was. I think, because everyone in there was going through a crisis it's not like a a, a ward or a, where a long everyone they usually is there for a severe reason yeah so it's as bad as it gets so when you're somewhere where everyone's like at the bottom of the barrel, it brings people together almost tragedy because in my room I shared a a room with a guy who was obsessed with Star Wars mm. and Just because I have like a Chewbacca onesie, like that made us like best friends instantly. And he just every day would come up to me and like would sit down and watch the movies and and, and talk about it and everything. And I'd forget where I was almost for a second. And it was, I'd hate to say a great time, but definitely eye opening. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. This is not something you go through every day and something that definitely builds character eventually.
1: Yeah. No, I was in one of them, when I was, God, how old was I? I want to say 17. And it was a very weird place, but like you say, you, you sort of meet all these people, but you do feel they're like all being very honest, and such a mixture of conditions and stuff. So Exactly. So you learn about all these things, like, from a very young age. And, um, yeah, it was, like, it was a bit like a crap social club, I used to think. Exactly. A really thing. crap social club, and, yeah, some of them smoked, and, you know, I used to go out to the shops with a girl with the OCD, and I had to open the doors for her because she wouldn't touch the stuff. All sorts of stuff like that. And then it'll be lunchtime and then the girls with the eating disorder would try and give me their crisps and stuff, so. But
2: see how odd it is. Like, me to look, and this is how presumptuous I was, me to look at you, I never would have guessed that you would have been in in such a place. But I thought, that's that's the beauty of it. Just me talking about it brought it up because I just mentioned it and suddenly we have a connection. We both have been somewhere that... Yeah.
1: I can't think that... I think the funniest thing that happened to me when I was at mine was that they tried to make us do this um, this god awful like theme song, which I can still remember today. Uh, I don't know if I'm prepared to sing it. Sing it, you have to <laughs> sing it. Come on. It was really bad. It was really bad. It was. Uh, it went. Um, we have good days, we have bad days, you could say we've seen it all. And it carried on like that. It was really, like, folky yeah. and sort of, like, all together. And then that it carried progress to, like, standing strong, moving on. Feel better or I don't know what it was meant to do. All I know is it was basically a bunch of 17, 18-year-olds with various fairly serious mental health yeah. conditions just standing around in a room forced to sing forced to sing right. this terrible song that's brilliant <laughs> it was really odd it was like a yeah. good time yeah, yeah, yeah fun times sounds like youth club like camp it was a bit like very a very much yeah. woodcraft folky well we had to learn circus skills at one point and to this that's day it. i just refuse to do anything to do with circus stuff just because it reminds me of like yeah that yeah. will
3: put you off a but bit
1: think how been.
2: different your life it could have been
3: yeah, what do you find helpful on a personal level
2: to deal with mental health issues um, it's three things really I try to keep uh, from day to day the first one is the power of breathing it's, it's such a strange thing and like I used to be because I know when someone says like breathing or yoga or, or or meditation it always sounds like kind of hokey and like mm-hmm. almost holistic where there's no basis in it but there's absolute basis in breathing and I learned a technique of, of square breathing where you count um, I think to eight or and then you count out to eight as you breathe And my anxiety eventually, because the the, the more you focus on breathing, it's hard to focus on anything else Mm. outside of it. And it's helped me a lot. The second thing is knowing who your friends are. Having just one friend is more than enough. What I mean friend is someone who you can talk to on a good day, a bad day, and it's all the same. They're there for you regardless of what, not just to go hang out and have fun or play football but also when you're having a, when you get sacked, when you're crying, when your girlfriend dumps you, whatever it is. And the last thing is, knowing how strong you can be yourself. It's just finding that initial spark is the hardest thing. It's a lot of people find it hard to climb out the hole, uh, which is like, you can get depressed in it to to like a degree where like you suddenly your room's a mess and you barely get dressed and you do everything minimal. I found that if you give yourself one kind of technique to push, to give you the initial spark out. So for me, it's usually music. I stick on ACDC, even though I want to put listen to something really depressing and I want to cry about it. Like usually my go-to sad, I mean, this is, I don't know how it's going to go down, but my go-to sad music is Beyonce absolutely love Beyonce <laughs>
3: Wait,
2: you know, why, is it, she's, why is it sad Beyonce? Beyonce? i to like to cheer you. No, well, because because they, cheer you up no 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 she has some really sad songs alright oh, about like R- cheating ones yeah, like, yeah sh- for sure. f- she's been heard a lot oh, poor Beyonce but anyways it's easy to kind of give into it and just wallow in things I found that no matter how bad I feel I'm like, I can't be bothered listening to ACDC AC- suddenly I put on you know Money Talks or Thunderstruck and before you know it your feet are tapping and you're just into it and whatever is your passion mine happens to be music everything auditory kind of can spark me up know yourself and know how to pull yourself so keep little tricks It know how to cheer yourself up and when you're ready because it's usually when you feel your worst that you can't be bothered to do any of these things if someone goes to you the gym i can't be bothered going to gym i'm depressed But what I do is I tie my shoes on and I go out the house and I can't go back then. I've left the house. I've got to go to the gym. And by the time I come back, I'm like, oh, my God, that was the best decision I've made. My day went from like a two or a three to like an eight or nine based on something so simple. So I think it's mindfulness, just knowing your... Yourself, your situation and your surroundings and how you could use those to make yourself and and those around you feel better about life, really.
3: Well, we are really very angry about this shit. Yes, we are really very angry about this shit. Thank you for talking to us about that, Faris. The thing that I'd like to
1: rant about this week is the way that... Headlines or people in general sort of think that um, a certain food or thing cures depression. So you read headlines like, I don't know, plums or grapes or cherries cure depression. But that's not how it works at all. And you know, you could eat all the bananas you want, that's not going to cure depression. The other problem I have with it is the idea that sort of one little thing will cure depression or a mental health condition, because that's not really how it works. You sort of generally, when you have a mental health condition, you'll be affected with it for quite a long time, possibly your whole life. So it's not like an instant fix, you know, like a pill's not going to fix you, like a therapist's not going to fix you, eating, you know, a whole truckload of bananas is not going to fix you. So, um, yeah, that's what's really pissing me off.
3: Stupid crap, my brain has told me a Oh, stupid, 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 stupid. So, a stupid thing that my brain has told me at all times of day, but specifically this time at night time, um, my house has a bit of a mouse problem. Mm. So once I looked up, just so I was drifting off to sleep, and there was just a mouse sitting on the, um, like on top of the curtains, oh, which I- is terrifying. I think that's kind of cute. I think mice are cute, but if they're on top, that's like, how have they got up there? Yeah. So then the entire night, I was just like, well, the mouse is obviously just going to climb on my face and probably climb inside my mouth while I'm sleeping. Oh, no. And I'll just wake up and there'll be a mouse in my mouth. And that was just... I just could not sleep, could not do anything about it, even though I knew that the mouse was no longer there and it had gone somewhere else. Oh, hang on. The mouse wasn't there? It was there in... The mouse is real, to be clear. Okay. The mouse is real, but after I woke up, I then threw something at the wall and it ran away so it wasn't there while I was trying to go to sleep mm. but I just couldn't literally not stop thinking about it and I was just absolutely convinced that the mouse would definitely want to just climb over my face and go into my mouth mm-hmm. which it probably wouldn't because why would it? No. But I just could not escape that thought could not sleep for hours. So this is goodbye from mentally yours So go away. Get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally mentally yours, mentally yours. So thanks to Farris for talking to us this week. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed on this week's show, you can contact Samaritans at samaritans.org or call them at 116 123. Mentally Yours is a weekly podcast on mental health issues brought to you by Metro.co.uk. Our producer is Sam Bonham. Thanks to Lucy Baker for the jingles. Until next week.